0: Good morning, it's Thursday the 12th of October and this is Govind Rajatiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top stories and themes for the day. Indian markets continue to shrug off Middle East war tensions, oil falls and markets rise elsewhere too. Mukesh Ambani's sun meets unexpected institutional water resistance. A monsoon recovery pushes up demand for fast-moving consumer goods, stores gear for festival rush now. Rice and now sugar, all head for fresh export controls.
1: This is a core report with Govindraj Raj
0: The markets shrug off Middle Eastern tensions. The Israel-Hamas war continues to rage with more than 2,000 people dead on both sides, though world markets including oil's seems to be now putting fears aside. Oil prices have now fallen below $87 a barrel and are holding in that region while the markets are looking stronger, also picking up on other queues. Oil is now holding steady, largely on the premise that there is no supply constraint expected, at least as things stand now. Back in Indian markets, the BSE Sensex closed 394 points higher at 66,473, while the NSE NIFTY ended at 19,809, up 120 points. Speaking of oil, ExxonMobil Corporation has agreed to buy Pioneer Natural Resources for about $60 billion, the former's largest takeover in more than two decades, as it seeks to become a dominant producer of shale oil. If this deal goes through, this combination will make Exxon by far the biggest player in the Permian Basin of Texas and New Mexico in the United States and bring the company's daily production to nearly 4.5 million barrels of oil equivalent a day. 50% 50% more than the next biggest super major, Bloomberg reported. Back on the general markets, brokerage CLSA or Credit Lyonnais has increased its India allocation, citing a supportive macro outlook. The brokerage owned by China's CITIC Securities has assigned a weightage of 18.2% to India, 20% higher than the country's weight of 15% in the MSCI All-Country Asia-Pacific Ex-Japan Index. We posit that in combination, a strong credit impulse, favorable energy pricing, improving external balance dynamics, robust GDP or gross domestic product, and earnings per share growth, increasing profitability, a supportive macro outlook, and additional capacity for non-resident asset accumulation will sustain the Indian equity momentum trade into 2024, CLSA has said in a note, which of course seems pretty all-encompassing. I'm really wondering if they've left anything out. Anyway, earlier CLSA had a 40% underweight on India vis-à-vis its weightage in the MSCI index, according to a report in the Business Standard newspaper. CLSA said that despite this positive, it does struggle with expensive valuations and relative lack of reserve bank policy flexibility. At 2.8 times, India's CAPE ratio, although lower than the peak of 3.1 times in October 22, is still distinctly unappealing, it said. India ranks as having amongst the least flexibility for interest rate accommodation versus emerging market peers on our monetary policy scorecard, it says, referring to emerging markets. This particular reference to Reserve Bank policy flexibility is a little rare in as much as it's being mentioned and quite directly at that. Last month, Nomura had upgraded its stance on the Indian market from neutral to overweight. This is result season. We talked about Tata Consultancy Services or TCS results coming up yesterday, and they have. TCS reported a 9% increase year-on-year in consolidated net profit for the quarter ended September 23 to 11,300 crores. Consolidated revenue grew 8% year-on-year to about 59,692 crores. The numbers that analysts were watching was the sequential number, which is versus the previous quarter or April to June, which was muted, with revenue rising, only about 0.5% and profit being up 2.4%. The board has recommended a second interim dividend of 9 rupees per share and also a buyback of shares worth 17,000 crore rupees or about 4,150 per share. So shareholders should be or ought to be happy. In constant currency terms, revenue grew 2.8% year on year and segment-wise, its Banking, Financial Services and Insurance or BFSI which is, of course, as you know, one of the biggest contributors to any IT industry's top line or bottom line, in the case of TCS saw less than a percent growth in revenue sequentially in the quarter. K. Kritivasan, CEO of TCS, said that strong deal momentum delivered to them a very large order book in Q2. He also said that the resilience of demand for TCS's services, clients' willingness to commit to long-tenure programs and their continued appetite for experimentation with generative AI and other new technologies gives us, or that's TCS, confidence in long-term growth prospects. Interestingly, and perhaps in keeping with the trend of job hopping levels slowing down in Indian IT, TCS saw attrition levels coming further down in the September quarter. The attrition rate on a 12-month trailing basis was about 15% compared to about 18% a quarter ago. TCS's total workforce as of September 30th stood at around 608,000 people. Mutual funds are raking it in. Fund flow into the Systematic Investment Plan, the most popular way that most individuals take part in the mutual fund space, reached an all-time high of 16,402 crore rupees in September, beating an earlier record of 15,814 crore rupees posted last month, according to the data from the Association of Mutual Funds in India. So, while the markets have been somewhat steady in recent months, funds are obviously continuing to flow as investors look for more options to get higher returns. Within this, exchange-traded funds rallied the most with inflows shooting up to 3,243 crores from about 1,863 crores. Contribution to dividend and ELSS funds jumped, though equity mutual funds not surprisingly continued to see net inflows in September, which in itself was the 31st month in a row. Mid-cap and small-cap funds, remember that we've been talking about them for their unusual and of course amazing growth, are seeing good inflows though lower than recent months. The number of unique investors in mutual funds has now crossed 40 million during the month under review. To understand a little more on how trends were shaping up and what was driving this huge flow of funds into the mutual fund industry at this particular point of time, I reached out to Direndra Kumar of Value Research Online and I began by asking him how he seeing these numbers.
1: The very nature of SIP is accumulative. It is not a one-off trend. Ideally, I would expect that you know SIP should always be a record, there will be little more people investing than the previous month, and it will be a record, and unless you know there are too many expiring. So there are many reasons for that. In fact, the mainstreaming of mutual fund, the mainstreaming of mutual fund SIP, and it has been not a disappointing market for anybody who has come in the last four or five years. In fact, mutual fund is the only market linked financial product which has a lot of happy customers. I can't think of anything else which is, you know, which can say which can claim that yeah, we have, you know, ten million happy customers. We have fifteen million happy customers. And you know, this is a matter of measurement. You know, the fund companies can actually look at the flows and see that how much return they have generated. So all of it combined together and there is nothing more powerful than having more money and a lot of investors experiencing it, the word of mouth is, you know, is way too strong. Right. So the
0: fundamental reasons are pretty sound. So let's look at the other side of it. So this means that there's a lot of money coming in, 250,000 crore, according to some mutual fund asset managers. And I'm sure the numbers add up, which is effectively just sloshing around. And we're also at a plateau of sorts right now. So how does that equation square up?
1: I don't know. It's very difficult to get the market. And I think every time somebody has tried to guess it, they get it wrong. And in the last 32 years, I've been watching mutual funds. Any fund manager actually goes very strongly about guessing the state of the market and trying to time it. He loses his job before the next cycle. So it gets so embarrassing. I would not like to hazard a guess here. But it's it's very straightforward. You know, I found this. It is actually a behavioral thing. When a lot of people, earlier people used to invest in a seasonal way. If you look at the 90s, you know, people invested in Martin Stanley, people invested in Master Gain. You know, the scale of Master Gain 30 years back was something like it raised 6,400, crore approximately, no, sorry, 4,800 crore or so. And if I adjust it with the level of the Sensex, that same scale of money will be nearly 130, 1, 30 thousand crore of NFO money. It was a closed-end fund. Of course, the times were different and that was the only way for investors to participate. But no, the point I'm making is that investors used to come in a very ad hoc way, seasonal way. Mutual fund turned out to be, for initial years, turned out to be the only convenient way for individual investors to come to the market. And it they, they used to be closed-end fund or even if they used to be open-end fund, it was not the mainstreaming of SIP. You know, the SIP, if you had to do your SIP, you had to cut 12 checks, give post-dated checks. It was cumbersome. I think the development of the ecosystem, the ease of investing, happy customers, democratization of the market, you know, there are many things going for mutual fund. So once the investors are investing through SIP, they are behaving in a very contrarian way. You know, people are doing their 5,000, 10,000, 50,000 rupees SIP and they keep 1 lakh, 2 lakh rupees handy so that if the market corrects, they will invest like that. So I haven't come across a situation except for 2008, which is now, Quite some time, many years back, that investors went out in hoards. It was very unnerving. Market went down from you know something like twenty thousand levels on the Sensex to eight thousand five hundred in a very brief period of time. But that also was recovered in the next three years. Of course, it was long. It was recovered, but that was the only phase when I remember investors were taking out money as if you know the market is going to end, not, not collapse.
0: Therefore, you're saying that even if there seems to be a lot of cash with asset managers today, and this in itself could be, of course, a frequent phenomenon, the absolute numbers or the fact that they're holding on to so much in relation to where the market is or its ability to absorb so much is really not, in a macro sense, a problem because this is something that we've encountered.
1: No, it is a problem. And that is why they're sitting. They are not finding it attractive to deploy the money. And despite the supply getting, you know, re uh, supply or I don't think there's a good supply of quality quality stocks and that is actually translating into you know all these BAP stocks and you know things are buy at any price and things look not very comforting but most of the problems get resolved by you know like in a business if you have a robust revenue many other small problems get resolved. Likewise in the stock market if earnings grow rapidly it's not growing rapidly but it's growing reasonably okay. And that earnings itself can justify all this deployment and people can look back and with the hindsight that, you know, and they will regret that they did not invest. And that is what we have seen in the recent past. In last six quarters, market war looking far more expensive than today.
0: Right. Jinder, thank you so much for joining me. Rice, sugar and beyond. India, the world's top rice exporter, may extend an export levy on part-boiled rice to control local prices, Bloomberg News is reporting. The government is considering an extension to a 20% export levy, which is due to expire on October 15th, according to people familiar with the matter who asked not to be identified, said Bloomberg. India has already banned non-Basmati rice exports and is now allowing exports of this category to select countries. India is also expected to impose restrictions on sugar exports during the new season that started October 1st, and a decision will come soon, according to Bloomberg again, adding that official said quotas for some overseas sales could be issued if domestic supply improves, a strategy which seems to have been borrowed or is similar to that of rice exports. India has recorded its weakest monsoon in five years, and while the overall rainfall numbers may have stabilised, the shifts within have caused a fair amount of distress. India has also introduced a quota system for 2022-23, that's the current financial year, and restricted sugar exports to about 6 million tons after late rains reduced production, compared with about 11 million tons last year without any restrictions. Late August, Reuters had reported that India was expected to ban mills from exporting sugar in the next season beginning October, halting shipments for the first time in seven years. Now, all this obviously points to the concern or worry around Prices going up and, of course, more specifically, both local elections this year and general elections next year. Ambani hits a hurdle. It's almost sacrilegious to question anything that an Ambani does, particularly on the board of the company. One reason, of course, is the lurking fear that some people have that they could come after you in some way, shape or form. Now, that may not have actually happened to anyone, of course, but these fears usually have a life of their own. The other is that Reliance and the Ambani's do deliver to shareholder expectations and their actions, even if it means installing a 28-year-old boy as an independent director of the company must be good and thought-through even if there is little actual evidence for the same. So, Institutional Investor Advisory Services, the firm has recommended shareholders vote against the 28-year-old Anant Ambani's appointment to the Board of Reliance Industries. This is relevant right now because shareholders of the Mukesh ambani run conglomerate are set to vote on the appointment of his three children as non-executive, non-independent directors, the results of which will be announced on October 30th. This, of course, was all mentioned during the annual general meeting last month. However, the advisory firm, that's IIAS, while it advised against Anant Ambani, has recommended voting for Isha Ambani and Akash Ambani, the other two siblings. The advisory firm said governance matters as a reason to vote against Mukesh Ambani's youngest son. According to their voting guidelines, the firm recommends voting against the appointment or reappointment of executive or non-executive, non-independent directorial candidates if they have less than 10 years of work experience or are less than 30 years of age. Anantabh Mani, as we've said, is 28 years old and has been serving on the boards of Reliance Group companies, including Geo Platforms, since March 20. He's also been on the boards of Reliance Retail Ventures since May 2022, that's last year, and Reliance New Energy and Reliance New Solar Energy since June 21. At 28 years of age, his appointment as a non-executive, non-independent director does not align with our voting guidelines, the IIAS notes said. IIAS, however, does say that it makes exceptions to its rule when the director is a first-generation promoter or founder, which means if he had founded the company or was one of the founding team, the age really does not matter. Mukesh Ambani named his children on the board of the Oil to Telecom conglomerate in August after wife Nita Ambani stepped down. He said he would continue to perform his role as chairman and managing director for five more years, And in this period, he would groom his children to transform Reliance into a green energy and digital conglomerate. Now, this is not the first time IIAS has weighed in. Among other examples, two years ago, it recommended a vote against a resolution to appoint Rama Kirloskar of Kirloskar Brothers and daughter of Sanjay Kirloskar, citing a lack of experience. The move led to heated exchanges between Sanjay Kirloskar and IIAS, with the former saying that IIAS had made exceptions to its rule, which IIAS strenuously denied. Now, the appointment of family members on boards of Indian companies, since that's the sample we are working with, could have many reasons. For example, in the case of Reliance, there is no benefit to the Ambani's as such by having more warm bodies on the board to fight any resolutions or any such issues for legacy and, of course, shareholding levels. The Ambani's own around 50% of the company. However, there is definitely family dynamics at play. The elevation of two siblings and not the third, though younger, could create a problem if only in external perception. Though, like I said, the two siblings in this case are older and above 30, Mukesh Ambani has already said he will mentor his children in coming years to quite obviously a point where some kind of formal separation of roles, if not of companies, could or would happen. Well, that's exactly what happened between him and his own brother, Anil Ambani, in the infamous feud which led to the split of Reliance Industries, triggered in turn by the lack of a clear succession plan by father and group founder, Dhirubhai Ambani. The other question a shareholder could obviously ask is how competent is the person being nominated, not just to become a director today, but in the longer path ahead? The answer to that, of course, is something that we'll have to wait and see. Meanwhile, on the general topic of succession, the RPG group announced the appointment of Anant Goenka as the vice chairman of the conglomerate. RPG group companies, by the way, include KEC International, SEAT Tires, Zensar Technologies, RPG Life Sciences, Harrison's Malayalam Raychem RPG, and Spencer International Hotels, most of which are listed companies. Goenka will continue to serve as the vice chairman of Siat and Zensar, the company or the conglomerate, said in a statement. Anand's extensive experience driving SEAT towards performance excellence will play a pivotal role in shaping the next wave of growth for the RPG group. This era is defined by rapidly evolving technology, and I believe Anand has the requisite skills and business instincts to herald change, Chairman Harsh Goenka said. He does not, of course, say, at least as far as I could see, that he's the father and he's referring to his son, which is fine. And the younger Goinka does seem to have experience in his favor. A monsoon renewal pushes up rural consumer goods sales. After a sharp fall in sales of fast-moving consumer goods in August, last month of September saw a turnaround according to data put together by retail measurement firm Bizom, which tracks data from some 6 million stores or Kirana stores across India. In August, rural consumption was down 17% and in several product categories the dip was more than 20%, all of this negative. The monsoon recovery in September has boosted demand as well as the perception of it for Kirana stores or corner shops as they're called quite literally across India, which in turn is leading to increased stocking ahead of a potential festival season spike. There are other shifting patterns as we're noticing now across consumption points, including in drug sales as we pointed out yesterday. Because remember that if everything was normal, then there should have been similar spikes last year ahead of a festival season too, but that's not the case. Anyway, overall sales increased by about 5% compared to the previous year and this was driven largely by rural sales which saw about a 6% increase year-on-year while urban sales grew about 3.2%. Branded commodities like edible oils are doing much better volumes but on much lower prices because edible oil prices have fallen almost 40-50% to which in turn is one of the factors that has kept food inflation in check as we've discussed in the past. Beverages that includes aerated drinks and juices have not done too well because once again, shifting temperature patterns. All eyes are now on Diwali with stocking rising. To understand where demand was coming from and what the specific outlook was for the festival season, I reached out to Akshay D'Souza, Chief of Growth and Insights at Bizom, and I began by asking him what had spurred the turnaround in numbers last month.
2: Uh, So I think there are two key factors, right? I think if you look at August last year, I think there was an immense pressure on rural at that point. What I'm seeing this in September is that rural is leading growth. Now, when you piece it together, I think what you also realize is that having a good end to the monsoon season in September was essential to that because your entire sowing is kind of heavily dependent in rural to the rainfall. And I think we have seen that come good. While I think there are certain crops where there is a challenge on yields, like soya or even rice for that matter. I think what it really does is it it just definitely posts a sentiment in the right direction. And I think that's what we are seeing. The other key factor is that we are coming up against our biggest festival, right? I think Diwali is down the corner. I think uh, early November is when you will kind of have that. And, and almost every single consumer goods company, FMC company is focused on garnering a larger share of that spike in demand, right, for the festival. So you are seeing a lot of frantic activity at the Kirana stores people are started stocking products. I think we're seeing stocking up for almost all categories. This includes home care, personal care, packaged foods. You know, I think the only place that I kind of see some kind of challenge now, end of the value, is really maybe branded commodities at the moment and maybe a little bit on beverages side. Other than that, I see all categories, stocking increased. So I think we are going to see this whole playbook play out where everybody kind of price to garner a largest share of the category by, you know, dumping stock and, you know, trying to get that demand you know, surge to kind of come to their brand.
0: Right. And the same thing would have happened last year as well. So what's different in on a year-on-year basis?
2: Yeah, I think this year, I think your last year was a very inflationary year, right? I think at this point to last year, you were actually on the backdrop of heavy inflation. You were saying a lot of discretionary products were being very challenging for consumption at that point. Between then and now, I think one of the biggest concerns for consumption that was there last year, which is inflation, has eased off considerably, right? When you look at products like edible oil, which are essential for every household in India, right? Because it's such an important part of our daily lives. We are seeing prices that have possibly gone down even 40-50% in certain cases, right? However, I think the volume will never pick up. So I think you see sales down. At the same time, you're seeing rice, a little bit increase in inflation, rice, wheat thing, you know, up there is inflation at that state, but but overall, I think the edible oils um, bucket is very uh, weighed heavy on the overall branded commodities, and hence you're seeing a drop in sales on the branded commodities side today. Beverages this season has been relatively muted on last year, simply because of the add of rainfall. It's been a cooler year compared to earlier years. Last year was record year. This year is not so you know record. So so while it's good from a uh, people like you and me who like cooler weather, but it is not agreed for you know, out-of-home consumption of beverages and, you know, the way for them every drop, every percentage increase in temperature is a direct increase in sales. And this works reverse too for them. So, And when you say beverages, you mean mostly aerated drinks? It could be aerated drinks. It is also juices and food juices and all of those in that category because, in fact, some of those have taken a bigger hit than aerated in this season.
0: Right. And are there any surprises or anything unusual that you're seeing in terms of either product or product mix that's standing out this year so far?
2: Yeah. So I think the good news is that I'm seeing is that discretionary products suddenly people are going beyond essentials. So we're seeing decent traction happening in chocolates and confectionery. I'm finally seeing personal care products moving from negative. So there has definitely been a shift in some of these. And I think that's an important trend because that also is a build up to how the festival season would play out in the next month or so.
0: And when you talk about personal care, what would that be in, let's say, the overall basket of sales for a Kirana store? I mean, where you measure usually.
2: So, so depending on the type of store, I mean, obviously there are stores that are more heavily stocked on essentials. There are stores that are typically more stocked on the premium. But if I look at a broader aspect, I would look at it to be little, almost about a sixth or one six to one seven, somewhere in between that.
0: Right, that and you said chocolate and confectioneries is also showing good pickup. What's your outlook like for the month of October and November, Akshay? See, October for
2: sure, I'm expecting this Kirana placement war will continue, for sure. Because I would see that stocking is going to be priority this year. What we could see in November is post-festival. You will have to look at a lot of liquidation offers, a lot of consumer offers that come up at a store level, because you will be faced with a dilemma of excessive stocks, which typically happens every year. So you will see a lot more consumer offers to liquidate stock, especially those with a shorter shelf life happening first. So I think you will see this play out in the next one or two months. So October for sure is going to be another month of heavy stocking, from what I see.
0: Right, Akshay. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And finally, before I go, another bit of international, or more specifically, US news. Mortgage rates in the United States advanced last week to its highest level since 2000. The contract rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage rose by 14 basis points to 7.67% in the week ended October 6th, according to Mortgage Bankers Association data out Wednesday quoted by Bloomberg. Now, this is the rate you could have bought a home in India two years ago, though it's risen a little since then. In general, such a convergence between interest rates in India and the US, or for that matter, UK, would have been unthinkable a few years ago on that note bye for now and have a great day this was the core report with me Govindraj Ethiraj do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core you can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in that is www.thecore Dot in or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Now we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening.